0: You're astute. Dismissed. Shirley, you coming up here to be with me? Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I'm not going to do it without you, but I would. That that would be a story. But I'm happy you're going to join me. Hooray. Greetings. Welcome to Christ Community Church. And um, we are happy to be here. And I'm happy you're here too. I want to pray. I want you to join me, okay? Lord, we thank you for the sunshine, for the beautiful weather, the, the promise of spring, new life. Uh, we thank you that we can gather together. Whether it's, Lord, that we're gathering out of the joy Of being the recipient of your blessings. Or maybe it's out of desperation. Just uh, 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 an urgency of need. That we come wanting you to touch us. To speak to us. To fill us. To heal us. To save us. To change us. To restore us. Maybe it's a combination of both. But we're here, and we look to you with expectancy. Uh, we pray that we would be open, and that you would fill us. Uh, bless us now. Speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um. Hi. <laughs> Good morning. Do you ever wonder what heaven's like? I bet you do on some levels. Um, And sometimes I have wondered about what heaven's like more over the last several years since my dad and Shirley's dad passed away. I've thought a lot about it and done a lot of uh, research and study on what the Bible actually says about heaven and um, that's what I want to talk, that's what we're going to talk to y'all about today and I'm going to, hopefully, Lord willing, we're going to stretch each other and challenge each other in a significant way today about what we believe and think and understand heaven to be and... um if you leave here scratching your head and nah, I'm not sure about that, you know my standard response, go home, read your Bible, find out what you believe it says, and then come correct me. Come show me where, that I'm wrong, because uh, I sure can be. I, I'm wrong a lot. Um, but I have spent a lot of time talk, uh, studying this, and, and I believe it's worthy of our consideration today. Um, one of the challenges of the Bible writers is trying to describe the indescribable. Trying to help us imagine the unimaginable. a <laughs> bush. Thank you, that- their images, their word pictures, their metaphors and similes and comparisons and, and uh, that is true of large amounts of topics in the Bible. But when it comes to what the Bible says about heaven, magnify it, multiply it, uh, many, many fold, um, most of what the Bible says about heaven are images, they're word pictures, they're metaphors, they're, they're and and we and if you read those things without understanding that, the danger is not that you're going to make, like, let me give you an example, the streets of gold. If you interpret that to be literal gold streets, you haven't made more of heaven than you should, you've made less of heaven that it will be the that will be the most pitiful (laughs) you'll be so disappointed or or not disappointed you'll be so amazed that's what I was focused on with the streets of gold that'll be the the most unimportant part and that's true of most of what the Bible says about heaven They're, they're giving us little tiny glimpses of things that are beyond our ability to grasp yet um so having said that it's important that we understand that today the space that you and i dwell in our world our earth that is a very different place than the space where god dwells Okay? The space that we live in is very different from the space that God dwells in. But it is so important that we understand that is not the way it was originally. Okay? When you read Genesis 1 and 2, what you see is a creation that God formed. Where he and humans dwelt together. There was no separation. Um, The earth, if you will, and the heavens, the rest of creation, they were not separated. God and people, in Genesis 1 and 2, they lived in harmony. They lived in Unity. They walked together. They functioned together. They were in perfect relationship. And that relationship, as we've talked about, and in, in back in I guess it was January, we talked about how a, a huge part of that relationship was that we we God shared His authority with us. He shared His work with us. He he didn't just create us like one of the animals to be a pet that he, come here, come here, Larry, you know, and petted me on my head and then sent me all, we, we got, we're not created to be pets. We were, pets are great. Don't get all nervous if you love pets. Okay, but, but we were not created to be pets. We were created to be image bearers. And the, the lion's share of what it means to be an image bearer in the Bible was that we, we were created to rule with God. To to care for God's creation, to extend God's creation, to as it as as uh, I hate to use the word time, but as time went on, creation expanded and became even more abundant and more amazing and more wonderful, and we had more and more opportunity to join God in the the ruling and the care and the extension of all that God had created tragically our four parents uh, came to a point one day where they said no thanks to God we don't want to exist and live with you in a world where your space and our space overlap. We want our own space. Where we can live and operate and where we can do things our way by our values, our priorities. We don't have to yield to you, or even check with you. We want to be absolutely independent. And at that moment, which you find in Genesis 3, our space and God's space were separated. And we have the the world... Um, that you see every night on CNN and Fox News. Bible uses all kind of different words to describe our space, our world, the earth, the present age, the age of sin, the age of darkness, the age of death. All of those phrases or words describe the world that we live in. Bible has all kind of words to describe and I'm just giving you a few. There's many, many more. Um but the Bible talks about the, the space that God dwells in, um, uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, eternal life, glory, uh, paradise. All of those words are were designed to create images, pictures of what God's space even begins. Thank you, darkness, yes, thank you. There is no darkness at all. Yeah, that's exactly right, that's a, thank you, thank you. Um, so, I want you to put on your thinking caps with me, alright? If you, I've been thinking a lot, <laughs> two weeks, I've, I've, I'm very excited. If you listen to people talk about death, that's part of my job, I listen to people talk about death. All the time. And if you listen to people talk about death, here's what you hear 98% of the time. There'll be one odd duck that'll change it, but almost everybody in this room, when you talk about death or you think about death, here's what you you talk about. Think about. When you die, God takes you from our space over to His space. When you, isn't that right? And what everybody in this room thinks, yeah, of course. My dad died, your dad died, and when they died, God took them from our space to His space. Let me stop and just say real quickly, that is true. I am not denying that don't anybody getting nervous. I'm not denouncing that. I'm not saying that is not correct because it is correct. Let me give you some examples that show that why we believe that. Okay? Uh, when Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, that was in Luke 23. In John 14, Jesus says that I go to prepare a place for you. In Philippians 1, Paul says, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. Do I want to stay here and minister to the people that God loves or do I want to go and be with Jesus? Go and be in His space. And I could give you many, well, I couldn't give you many more. I can give you one more. And I spent a lot of time searching for these examples. On 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So clearly those verses, I gave you four. I'm not denying there might be one or two more And those little handful of verses tell us that when we die, uh, God takes us from our space to His space. But here's the point of the lesson today. When you look at all the references in the Bible to death for believers heaven, this, that idea that I've just been talking about. Those four or five verses that I just gave you mean nothing compared to the Pacific Ocean of verses, passages, uh, stories, parables. The parables are, oh my gosh, for you to go back after today, for you to go back and reread all of Jesus' parables, what you're going to discover is that the lion's share of what the Bible says, it does not talk about God taking us from this space to His space. That is not what the Bible is focused on. It is an incidental corollary, extra little old tidbit, just because the Bible wants us to know what happens to our loved ones for a brief period of time after they die. They go to be with the Lord. Where is that? What is that? What's going on? They're with the Lord. They're with the Lord. All that we know, and that's all that matters. They're with the Lord. And because they're with the Lord, all is well. What the Bible actually focuses on It starts with this story, and it runs through the Bible. What it talks mostly about is where God's space and our space overlap. That's the focus of the Bible. That's how it started. God created a space, or you could say two spaces, if you will, perfectly overlapped. It started with that story, and guess what? It ends with that story. A space that was mutually shared, that overlapped perfectly between God's space and our space, uh, where heaven and earth overlap. The Bible story is not primarily... And it's such a small bit of information in comparison to what what we're talking about today that it's almost embarrassing to mention it. It's so insignificant. The Bible is not primarily the story of God taking us from our space to His space. The overwhelming emphasis and message and uh, uh, dedication of ink to the pages focuses on what God is doing to restore these two separated spaces back into one space. That's the, the... Well, what's God doing? I can tell you what He's doing if you read the Bible. He is restoring two spaces that were never designed to be separated back into one space even after Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and the two spaces were separated, you still see running throughout the Bible opportunities or situations or examples where you get a glimpse of the two spaces overlapping, they're not. They were never in the Bible separated permanently. They they're separated, but they there were moments throughout the Bible, and I would suggest even today, where those two spaces overlap. There are many examples. Let me give you some. Abraham is sitting by his tent in the heat of the day, and these three men, uh, men in quotes come up and they chat with Abraham and basically tell Abraham what's about to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. If you read the rest of the story, what you discover is those were not just regular men. That was our, our Abraham's space and God's space overlapping. Jacob's ladder is a time when God's space and Jacob's space overlap. Jacob wrestling with God. Um, Gideon has a moment where God is calling him to lead Israel and he has this encounter where God's space and Gideon's space overlap. Elijah in that cave um, where he is literally in the presence of God. That, that's, that, there was the overlapping of that space. Probably the example that you would, uh, if I asked you to give me an example of, of what I'm talking about, the one that you come up with the most quickly is when Moses in Exodus 3 is shepherding some sheep out in the wilderness, literally on the side of Mount Sinai, and uh, uh, he's he's caring for these sheep, and all of a sudden, he sees this burning, we say burning bush, burning vegetation. It could have been a tree, it could have been a bush. This this vegetation is growing up out of the ground, and it's on fire, but it's not burning up. It intrigues him, so he goes over to investigate, and gets some distance away and all of a sudden God says, stop, do not go any further, take off your shoes, you are standing on holy ground. What's God saying? Moses, you are stepping over into where my space and your space overlap. If you read the mystics, they mention it quite often. Except those moments when um one is
1: aware that it is that those two places have overlapped. Perhaps there's an
0: encounter with something other than self. So. And and they can be moments, but they can also be geographical. If you read the mystics, they're they're in their understanding there are places that you can go where that overlap is more consistent, more regular, and, and that's why they have these holy sites all over the world where now whether you oh, I don't believe that, okay, don't go there. But there are millions of believers who who would say those spaces do exist. And that's what we're talking about here. At this where there's an overlap between our space and God's space. In biblical mindset in the times of the Old Testament and the New Testament for that matter, the place that was universally understood to be this place of overlap. Where do you go for a thin space? Where do you go to, to experience God to, to, to find this overlap between our world and God's, between he- earth and heaven. Where do you go to do that? And the, where, you go, where you went at that time was the temple. The temple was the place where heaven and earth met and overlapped, where, where God's space and man's space united, or, or as I said, overlapped. It would be where you'd go to experience the presence of God. And most of you that read the Bible at all know that God instructed there to be two different temples, if you will. One was portable. It was called the tabernacle, but it was the temple. Just a portable temple uh, that Moses designed and then had built. Uh, And then uh, uh, God told David to design a permanent temple. uh, And then his son Solomon built that. And they were identical uh, in their design not in the materials that they were built with but in their design they were three different there was an outer court uh, uh, an inner court or a holy place and then this holy of holies place in the middle and that's where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt and, and there in that center of that temple if you will um, uh, that's where the presence of God was revealed and uh, dwelt, and that's where people could go to experience this place of overlap. Um, Both of those, both the tabernacle and the temple, were modeled after the Garden of Eden. I don't know whether you ever noticed that in your studies of Genesis 1 and 2, but if you read Genesis 1 and 2 very carefully, what you see is, is that God separated the waters and he created land and in that land he placed an area called Eden and in that Eden he planted a garden and in the center of that garden was the tree of life so you had land then you had Eden and then you had the garden and in the center of that garden you had the tree of life both the tabernacle and the temple were, uh, according to God's direction, they were covered in um, decorations that reflected the beauty and the nature of the Garden of Eden. It was filled with that which made it beautiful and valuable and was filled with all kinds of nature Images of leaves and trees and vines and bushes and shrubs and flowers. That's what covered both the tabernacle and the temple. Um, And that was the place, the tabernacle and the temple, where heaven and earth would overlap. Um, Oh, it's probably been a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, I get a text from Chuck one day and uh, he said, man, I'm reading through the Bible with you, but I'm in Leviticus, and that is a tough book. And I said, you're right, I shot back, it is a tough book. Uh, It's not for the faint of heart. But if you understand the main message of Leviticus, it does make the reading of Leviticus much easier. And the basic message, of the book of Leviticus is simply this. That man's sin has separated God's space from man's space. And we cannot traverse that space or leave our space to enter God's space any way we want or any time we want. And that's what the story in Leviticus chapter 10 tells us. Anybody that thinks they can enter God's space when they want, how they want, it ends badly. You can read Leviticus 10 and see if I'm not telling you the truth. That's the point of the book. Our sin, our selfishness, our pride, our independence, our rebellion has separated us, our space from God's space, and We cannot get over to God's space without there being dire, disastrous consequences. And the rest of the book of Leviticus declares this, but there is a way. God in His mercy and compassion and love created a way where you and I, even in our hard-headed, rebellious, stubborn, selfish, independent, demanding demanding wills, God has provided a way where we can reconnect those spaces, where we can experience God, have relationship with God, where my space and God's space can overlap again. And the book of Leviticus would say that that is through the innocent sacrificing itself for the guilty. They would take, and you might think, well, man, what about all those animals that were, those poor innocent animals that were sacrificed uh, for people's sin? That's the point of the book. Only the sacrifice of the innocent can create a venue through which the guilty, the sick, the, the sinful can be reconnected, reunited with God. The two spaces can only be reconnected via the innocent taking the punishment of the guilty. A lamb being sacrificed to remove the guilt of the sinful. Entry into God's space is only possible through the death of the innocent. If you get that Then all of a sudden, oh, now I see Leviticus has got a lot going on. And I'm not trying to make something that's very complicated and multifaceted, uh, too simplistic. But nobody can read the book of Leviticus and not go, oh, now I see my space and God's space can only be reconnected when something or someone innocent... Is sacrificed or sacrifices itself on behalf of the guilty. Um, Now, just for the sake of time, we got to go. Let's jump to the New Testament. That's the that's the good part. Um, It is incredibly significant theologically. If you're sitting in a room with a bunch of theologians they're all fighting with each other about, you know, how many angels can stand on the head of a pen or something. And, uh, uh, or did, you know, did Adam have a belly button or that kind of stuff. You know, if they're all fighting. And all of a sudden, you bring up John chapter 1. Every one of those theologians will agree with what I'm about to say. Even though they disagree about everything, they'll agree with this. When John, the Apostle John, introduces Jesus, the Messiah, Here's what he says. God became man and he tabernacled among us. That word tabernacle is a huge word. Wonder where John got that. Wonder why he chose that exact word. God became man and he tabernacled. He became that place where heaven and earth overlap. He became Jesus. Jesus became that one that if I want to experience God, go see Jesus. I want to step from my world into God's world. Go see Jesus. Jesus was the true tabernacle. He was the true temple. He was the place where that overlap took place. He was the, the space where people could experience God. That's why Jesus made these statements time and time and time again. Um, he would say things like, The Father and I are one. The Father and I are one. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is in me and I am in Him. What Jesus was saying was I'm that point that space that thin space where if you want to see heaven you want to see God you want to experience God you want to see what things looked like before man screwed it up come see me come talk to me come be my friend walk with me listen to me experience a relationship with me and i'll show you what it looks like i'll show you where that overlap takes place
1: so john milton wrote paradise lost you've probably heard of that maybe you've read it about the fall of satan and the fall of man famous piece fam- famous poem a friend of his, once he had published it and everybody was reading it, said, you talk a lot about loss and paradise being lost, but we, what about gain? I mean, what about being found? How is it found? So then he sets out and writes paradise regained, which you might think is about heaven. And this is just John Milton. It's not the Bible. But from a man's perspective, he doesn't write about heaven. He writes about hunger. Mm. Jesus in the wilderness and the temptations of the devil and the hunger and so his point and I think Larry is making it beautifully is John Milton's point um, is that when we want to regain paradise with God we can't yes but it comes from desire hunger movement Mm. not apathy not indifference not demands It's a beautiful image, it's a great
0: metaphor. Yes, it's a fabulous image and it makes me... Everybody in this room understands that hunger, that awareness that things are not as they should be. I don't care if you married to the best person in the world and you've raised the most wonderful children in the world and you make all the money in the world, and you're the healthiest person in the world able to run a marathon every day. You've got a billion friends. When life is at its best, there is still something down deep in every one of us. There's got to be more. There's something more. I was created for more. And that's what Milton's talking about. Jesus came to provide... First of all, to exemplify and reveal and then to provide that more, that which we all long
1: for. When man and God are fully united in the same space, there will be... There all is well. All is well. No more need. No more hunger. No more night on the pillow wondering, is this enough? Is this
0: enough? Yes.
1: No more of that.
0: Yes. Have I done enough? Do I have enough? amazing thing about Jesus was that when He came revealing and providing this new overlapping space with God, He didn't hide it behind a thick flower-covered curtain like the Holy of Holies had been in the, in the temple. He revealed it to everybody and He tended to reveal it Rather, the best person in the land was supposed to be the priest, right? That was the the best person in the land and that's the only person that could really go back behind that curtain and see God's presence. Jesus seemed to be doing the opposite. He gravitated to the worst people, the most unclean, the most broken, the most messed up, the most uh, uh, alienated people. Those are the ones ones that would have never never been allowed behind that curtain to see God's presence, to see God's space. Jesus says, y'all are the ones that I walk in my space. You're the ones my dad sent me to. He wants you in my space. I've, I've come to provide a bridge so that you can come and experience my dad's space. That's why Jesus said over and over and over again, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. The kingdom of God is among you. I'm right here. Quit looking up at some golden streets. Stop looking for angels on clouds. Heaven. Where's heaven? I'm right here. I'm here. Look at me. Listen to me. Be my friend. You want heaven? Look to me. That's what Jesus was trying to say. I'm the temple. I'm the place where people can come and experience the presence and the glory and the love of heaven. Real quickly, i got to throw this in. I'm not charging you extra for this. That's the message of the Gospels. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen heaven. You've seen the Father. When you've been around Jesus, you've been to heaven. But Jesus, according to the Gospels, wasn't just the temple, the, the real heaven, the true heaven, the place where we could go to, ex- to have that overlap. The Gospels would also suggest that Jesus was the priest, the great high priest. Now Paul picks up on that in the book of Hebrews uh, uh, big time. But um, the, the Gospels would declare that Jesus is the temple, the place where you go to experience God, but Jesus is also the priest. He's the one that is orchestrating, the one that's serving, the one that's ministering, the one that is doing the work needed to build this restoration, this connection. He's the one that's praying for people. He's the one that's loving on people. He's the one that's teaching people. He's the one that's praying that's ministering. He's the one that's doing the, the priestly work that reconnects. Heaven and earth that reconnects people with God like Adam and Eve had in Genesis 1 and 2. But he goes a step further. Not only is Jesus the true temple, not only is Jesus the two priests mediating the work necessary, doesn't the priest need a sacrifice? Isn't that what the priest's main job was, to offer sacrifices? Where in the world would Jesus get a sacrifice? Worthy of being offered that was so innocent and so perfect that it could provide permanently and sufficiently to cover all of the sins of all of the people that have ever existed. He couldn't find one. And so he said, I'll be one. I'll be... And what did John the Baptist... very first thing when John the Baptist... John the Baptist had one job. And he only worked for six months. He had one job and he only worked for six months. You know what his one job was? To introduce Jesus to the people of Israel. And you know how he did it? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's what he said. You're the sacrifice. You're not just the temple, which you are. You're not just the priest, which you are. You're the sacrifice that the priest is going to offer in the true temple where my Father exists. Jesus is God's temple. Jesus is God's priest. Jesus is God's sacrifice required for God's place and man's space to overlap again. That's why Paul says in Hebrews 9 that Christ entered the true heavenly sanctuary to appear on our behalf before God's presence as our true high priest. He entered the most holy place to do away with sin by sacrificing Himself. Peter said it this way, Christ suffered for people's sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that we could enter into the presence of God. In this verse, I've never, I've read this verse a thousand times. I've never saw it. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, God purposed in Christ to bring unity to all things in heaven and in earth. God created, He, he restored unity through Christ, unity between heaven and earth. folks, Challenge me. Disagree with me. I'll still sleep good tonight because I have studied and I've done the best I know how to do and this is what I believe to be true today. Okay? And I'm growing and maybe I'll change later on. But I'm convinced God did not send Jesus to this earth to die on the cross just so that when we die He could take us to heaven. Yes, that is true. Yawn. Yawn. That is not the primary message of the New Testament, or the Old Testament for that matter. God sent Jesus to this earth to accomplish the work necessary to restore heaven and earth back into the, the space, the space of overlapping that God created to be so before we sinned and that He is now in the process of slowly but surely restoring and one day it'll be, ma- it'll be complete. It'll be back right the way God desires and that down deep in our hearts we long for and desire as well anything you want to add friend no all right that's good thank you you sure Mm -hmm. one last thought you understand what i've shared what we've shared with you is the message of the gospels Primarily. You know what the epistles, you know what Peter and John and Paul uh, and James add to this story, this amazing story? Jesus left the ministry that his dad gave Jesus. You are to be my temple, my perfect temple. You are to be my priest, my perfect priest. You are to be my sacrifice, my perfect sacrifice. And through your ministry, Jesus, you are going to create that which will ultimately be restored as it's supposed to be. Then Jesus goes back up to his space. And guess what? The the writers of the epistles realize, oh, the ministry of being the temple, the the holy space where people can go to experience God, the ministry of being the priest that is impacting people that God loves with His grace and mercy and compassion and healing, and the ministry of being the sacrifice, the one that offers Himself Himself for the good of others. I'm leaving those roles, those ministries to those that follow me. Now, you are the temple. Isn't that what Paul says? Do In Romans, doesn't he say, don't you realize that you are the temple of God? And, and Peter says that we are the royal priesthood we are now the priest Jesus yes is the perfect temple Jesus yes is the perfect priest and then Paul says in Romans 12 therefore my precious brothers and sisters I beseech you by the mercies of God to what offer your lives your bodies as what sacrifices now you're the priest now you're the temple now you are the one that offers himself in sacrificial behavior and actions for the good of those that need to be restored to me do we see that it's not a matter of, well, I got my got my third grade, uh, went to a vacation Bible school and prayed a prayer uh, and uh, filled out a little card. And so now I'm going to heaven. God's going to take me to heaven when I die because Jesus died on the cross for me. Yeah, okay. But that's not what God's focused on. That's not what God's doing. He's restoring all that He created back so that heaven and earth are one and as he does that his primary way of doing that now is that when Tiffany when you or Kim or Kevin when y'all get up in the morning and you go out into your life do you see do I see that I'm the space I'm the temple I'm where people can come or should come where they can come and experience God it's not a matter of did I say a bad word or take a drink or uh, bobble or mess up or stumble it's just am I I, do I see that my, my life is that space where God and man overlap I'm that space you're that space when you go to the grocery store when you go to work and when you deal with your kids do you see that we're that space where they ought to be able to come. when I'm around Austin, I'm in the presence of God. I'm in the presence of God. And to know that this role of being the priest, the one that is interceding, the one that is encouraging, the one that's speaking life, the one that's speaking wisdom, I'm the priest that connects God and you. And you're the one that connects God and me and the, the world. And do we see that every time we do something, where we die to self, where every time we forgive somebody that we'd rather punch in the nose, every time that we give money that we really would rather use for something else, every time we say a blessing rather than a curse, every time we do acts of sacrifice, real sacrifice, We are literally, Paul says in Philippians 1, we are adding to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Not in its power to save, but in its power to be extended to other people. People go, oh, I get it now. I see what Jesus did for me because of what you're doing for me. I get it now. I see it. I can imagine the unimaginable. I can I I get it now I see it now and we need to see that that's our role that's what God has called us to that we're participating in the restoration of heaven and earth and therefore our lives matter they're important what we do matters how I use my time and my money and my relationships they are eternally important. In some ways, as important as how Jesus used His life and His time and His abilities, His blessings, His, his everything that He had available to Him. We need to remember that. We need to see that. We need to embrace that. Okay, I've told you more than you want to know. I know. Come on, guys. I represent the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't say that with arrogance. Actually, I say it with embarrassment in many ways. But I do represent the Lord Jesus. And He is asked me to invite you to come. Come to His table of mercy. Receive from Him fresh grace from His nail-scarred hands. Eat from the bread. Eat from the bread of His salvation and drink from the blood of the Lamb. If today you'd like to come uh, and eat and drink And reflect and remember and just be reminded of what a delight you are to God and how committed He is to you and how His sacrifice is greater than your sin. You come and you eat. If you want to come and eat just as a public testimony, I I want to be that temple, I want to be that priest, I want to be that sacrifice. It's impossible. But all things are possible with God. If, that, if that, you just want to eat and drink to just declare your determination and desire to be that, to embrace those roles, then you do that. Um, you don't have to come. if Today, you just want to sit and ponder. There's nothing wrong with that. But I invite you to come and to eat and drink. Um, Brenda, if I can get you and Mom to maybe... Uh, stand over here on, on one side uh, or the other in case somebody wants uh, whether you want to maybe in the back y'all could stay in the back if anybody needs prayer today you just would like somebody to pray for you Brendan my mom will pray for you they'll pray in, in faith and they'll pray in, in the spirit for you and, uh, so if you need prayer you come go to them go to either one of them and they'll pray for you Okay. so you come now if you'd like to come and eat and drink and remember and give thanks